This week on the podcast, we continue our discussion with Dr. David Dykus, who's a board-certified veterinarian and a leader in veterinary orthopedic surgery. Today, we'll be discussing osteoarthritis in our dogs and cats. From understanding the signs to discussing effective pain management strategies, Dr. Dykus will share his valuable insights today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet healthcare, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, and joined once more by Stephen. Welcome in, brother. Hello, hello. I have, to, not- I have to ask you, um, have you uh, hung out with any capuchin monkeys over the past week? No capuchin monkeys. Uh, <laughs> I'm just keeping my french fries to myself. When I say last week, it's really like five minutes ago, but that's just... If For you those don't know listening what at home. That's right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and listen to the last episode of the Family Pet Podcast, where we had part one with our guest, uh, Dr. David Dykus, a board certified orthopedic surgeon for uh, a veterinarian. Um, And uh, he shared a lot of great information in the last episode. So stop this one, go back, listen to that one, and then come back and join us again. But Dr. Dykus, welcome back for part two. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. I am uh, glad to be able to continue spreading some orthopedic knowledge. Now, you said you wanted to be a surgeon from the beginning of vet school. When did orthopedics become the focus for you? Yeah, I think it was probably a little bit before I actually knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. And and it stemmed a lot from numerous injuries I had always had, being in and out of orthopedist office and physical therapist. And so when I actually got into the nuts and bolts in in veterinary school, I I just liked the aspect of of bones and joints and and how everything functions and moves collectively together. And um, you know, learning through the surgical aspect, the soft tissue stuff was was fun, but the orthopedic stuff I really liked. I mean, when they put drills in my hand and they, you know, they let me put in screws and they let me cut things, I was like, oh, this is fun. This is really right. cool. And then, you know, on the soft tissue side, it was always like, oh, nope, you got to be careful. Move your hands very slowly. Don't do that. Don't touch this. Be very careful with this. And I'm like, ah, just give me a drill back. Let me put a screw in something. <laughs> the first time I watched an orthopedic surgery here at the office, I was shocked at how I, I can only describe there it as... There is a lot of force Yeah, involved. I was like, I, I was going to say violent, but that's not the right force. term. Force. Yeah, that's much better. I was just like... Oh my gosh, now that I under like wow. <laughs> and after my leg surgery, I, I I understood a little bit about where the swelling and pain came from. I was like, man, that was that was intense, but I know exactly what they were doing. There's a there's a lot of pulling yeah, and right. pushing. <laughs> pulling and pushing. Dr. Dykus, when I reached out to you to invite you on, we wanted to talk about the common injuries, and we did that in last week's episode. And then I asked, what do you want to talk about? And the thing that you listed was osteoarthritis. Can you tell us what that is? Because as a, as a pet parent, I'm like, I don't, I don't really understand that. So can you tell us what that is and why is that appealing to you? Yeah, osteoarthritis is one of the most common issues that we face in both dogs and cats. And actually, it's the number one source of chronic pain in dogs right now. And basically, osteoarthritis is an inflammatory 
issue to the joint that causes the joint essentially to fail over time. There's breakdown of the cartilage. And the way to think about cartilage is it's sort of this nice little spongy substance that when we're walking or when animals are walking, it's helping to lessen the force onto our bones. And so with osteoarthritis, not only is there breakdown or damage to the cartilage, but there's a whole series of events that damages the other structures in the joint. So there's what's called the synovium, which is the inner lining of the joint. That becomes really inflamed and painful. There's the joint capsule, which is sort of the outer capsule that contains all the things within the joint that uh, gets thickened and, and uncomfortable. And there's a lot of scar tissue that develops around the joints that ultimately lead to failure of the joint. And I'm sure many of your listeners out there suffer from arthritis, and some of them may have even had joint replacements because of arthritis. And so our dogs and our cats, in particular dogs, are heavily affected with osteoarthritis because anything that creates an abnormality in the joint has the potential to develop arthritic changes. And so one of my big take-home to people is that osteoarthritis is not an old dog disease. It's an any age dog disease. And so in other words, just because a dog gets old, they don't just develop arthritic changes. They develop arthritic changes because something was the driving force, whether they developed, had hip dysplasia, uh, an abnormal development of their hips, or they had uh, elbow dysplasia, abnormal development of their elbows. The end result of those is arthritis. If they tear their cranial cruciate ligament, they'll go on to develop arthritis. If they have a kneecap that fluctuates in and out, they will develop arthritis. If they get overweight, they can develop arthritis. If they have a fracture of a joint, they can develop arthritis. And so there's a lot of things that can lead to the development of arthritis. And, and the way to think about arthritis is it's sort of the the secondary event or the the ultimate outcome of damage to a joint. Now, you'd listed several big joints, hip, shoulder, knees, elbows. But when I look at, when I think of myself, the, the joints that I'm most familiar with are the ones in my hands, my knuckles, uh, my fingers. Uh, do the dogs get arthritis or, or dogs and cats also in like their paws? Yeah, more so in dogs, we can see arthritis of their toes or their digits um, and their wrist and their ankles. We think about the bigger joints, in particular the, the hip and the elbow, because those tend to be more from the developmental orthopedic causes. Um, in toes, it can be from a number of different things. It could be from conformation, or it could be from dogs that spend time on various um, uh, substances as far as where they are living, the type of terrain, or maybe they do a lot of digging or they're using their claws quite a bit to kind of flex and extend so they can develop um, arthritic changes in their digits or, unfortunately, they're overweight. What are the signs that our dog is suffering from arthritis? So the signs are going to kind of be dependent upon the severity of what's going on. And, and it may start out as just some stiffness and soreness when they get up. And, you know, people will come in and be like, yeah, he's, he's getting up nice and slow and it takes him a little while to get going. And it's because he's getting older and I'm looking at him, I'm like, but he's five. You know, he shouldn't be getting up and moving slower. He should be 
up and going. And so they'll warm out of it and they'll get to moving. Um, other times they can develop a limp after heavy activity or perhaps that limp um, becomes more consistent and it's present all the time. Um, and then we can see some behavioral changes. Sometimes we'll see, you know, maybe they're not as social or maybe they start showing some aggression or they don't want to engage or interact or they start to do things differently. Perhaps they used to happily go up the stairs and now they don't, or perhaps they used to um, jump up on the furniture and now they don't and they need assistance. Or if they were going out on walks, maybe now they're lagging behind or refusing to finish a walk and spending more time wanting to sit down. We had a previous guest talk about cats, that the one of the ways that you can maybe see pain is if they're not going vertical, they're not jumping up. Is that arthritis issues at play? I think it could absolutely be a, a reasoning, especially in the cat. And the cat will see a, a reduction in activity or reluctance to want to jump or some behavioral changes or maybe they're not grooming as well as they should. So those things, anything that seems off from a behavioral standpoint can certainly um, be a result of arthritic changes or pain. You know, we, we think about bad behaviors in both dogs and cats. And in some situations, those bad behaviors can be because they're painful. Would you walk us through how you determine the proper treatment for pets that are experiencing uh, osteoarthritis? Yeah, so um, it really depends for me where on the spectrum of disease they are. And so what I mean by that is we can have patients that could develop arthritic changes. So a dog that tears their cruciate ligament, for example. We could have patients that have what we call radiographic evidence of OA, meaning they come in for, say, vomiting. And so we take an x-ray of their belly to make sure they didn't eat something they weren't supposed to, and we get their hips in the x-rays, and their hips look really bad. But the dogs haven't had any issues reported by the owners. And so in those group, I consider those to be sort of where we establish our baseline management. And for that, that means we're typically doing things like joint supplements, omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil supplements. There's a product called Adequine that we would use. But the two most important things we would do, we would try to maintain a lean body condition. So we try to get as much weight off of them as we can, because right now in the United States, about 60% of adult dogs are considered overweight or obese. And then we incorporate daily exercise. And, and so when I talk to owners about this and we talk about, yeah, we got to get your dog active, they get really happy because in their mind, they think all they got to do is open the back door. The dog can go outside, run around in the backyard, run the fence line, have a good time. But that's not daily exercise. That's that's daily playtime, that's socialization. Daily exercise is getting them out and taking them on walks. That's the best form of exercise for a dog. So then they get sad again because now it involves some work on their part. But ultimately what I want is at a minimum, and I don't think I'm asking for a lot, but I want to see a dog go on twice daily 20-minute walks. And to be able to do that, though, they have to be comfortable. So we can't have a patient with what we call clinical OA, meaning they have x-ray changes, but also they're painful on manipulation, 
and then us expect for them to be able to go out on a walk and do well. So we have to have those patients that are in kind of a period of calmness or remission where we get the baseline established. But if we have a patient that does have pain, so they have what's called a flare-up, then we have to change our approach a little bit. And in these patients, what we do is we back off the daily exercise because we don't want to cause more pain, and then we take a huge focus at getting pain under control. And we commonly do that through the use of anti-inflammatories, or we add in other types of pain medications, or maybe we inject substances into a joint to calm down the inflammation. But to also help keep them moving, we will many a times put them into formal rehabilitation programs because what they're able to do is allow them to keep with active engagement of movement but do so in a manner which doesn't cause them pain. And so we do everything we can to get them out of the flare-up to get them back to sort of their baseline management. And so we have to be really aggressive at trying to do that. And unfortunately, many of the dogs, when they come in, they've been in flare-ups for sometimes many months or years. And so it's kind of like peeling back layers of the onion to get uh, that pain under control, both at the joint level, but also how the brain's perceiving pain, and then start getting them more comfortable so we can work into sort of that baseline management strategy. So for me, I always tell people we have to figure out where in the course of the disease your pet is, and then we have to take a patient-specific approach, and we need to know that that's going to always be evolving as the disease progresses, such that some things that may work now may not be as effective in the future. But the other thing I tell people is you got to understand that flare-ups are going to occur, and we have to know how flare-ups are going to occur. And so some of the things we talked about earlier, the stiffness or the unwilling to rise or some of the behavioral changes, those can sometimes alert you that something's going on and you probably should get with your veterinarian and have, have your pet evaluated. But if you're like most, you have children, you have life, things are busy. So I'll tell people to go to the craft store and get three jars and either popsicle sticks or marbles of green, yellow, and red. And every day assign a color. Good days where you think life is great for your pet is a green. If you forget or you're unsure, it's a yellow. And if it's a bad day, then it's a red. And if the green and the yellow start to outnumber the, or I'm sorry, if the red and the yellow start to outnumber the green, we need to make an appointment to be evaluated because that can be that a flare-up slowly coming on. And we want to get on top of that before it peaks out from a pain standpoint. And I think we can probably be a bit better at getting these flare-ups under control if we're able to recognize and address them earlier. I really like that visual jar, you know, being able to look at it and be like, because it's, well, I think I got I go back. I think last week we had it. You know, but if you're doing it every day, then you have a quick way to give a visualization to understand what your pet's experiencing. I like that a lot. It's quality of life care there. Yeah. You mentioned it's supp- all about pain management. Yeah. You mentioned supplements, and um, I want to talk to you about that. There's. Um, it seems like my social media feeds, no matter what platform I'm on, are inundated with pet products. How do we cut through all of the sales ads and determine, like, what is what is a quality supplement to help kind of stave off uh, uh, or delay um, chronic Ill- chronic 
pain with when it comes to osteoarthritis? I, I think first and foremost, we have to understand that it's a very unregulated industry. So there's no federal regulations on what we call nutraceuticals. Nutraceuticals are supplements versus our pharmaceuticals. So like what you have to have a prescription to go pick up at the pharmacy with, um, those are regulated by the, the FDA. So what that means is, is we really have to do our due diligence in assuring both safety and quality and purity of ingredients are being used. So that means we have to have a company that's willing to spend the money for quality control. They have to be willing to ensure they're getting the highest quality of ingredients, but they're also testing those ingredients. And so if there happens to be any uh, impurities, in, you know, then they pull that out and don't send that out to, to be sold. Um, we also need to make sure that they meet label claim. And what I mean by that is if you pick up most dog joint supplements and you look at the label, they're all going to look identical. But going back to the fact that there's no federal regulations, that means they can put whatever they want in a capsule or a pill, and they're under no obligation to meet the label claim. So we also need to make sure that we use a company that if a third party company comes in and, and grabs that product and they take it back to their lab and they test it, it indeed meets label claim. We also need um, to have some research behind it. And this is where things start to get a little dicey because the research as far as efficacy on both the human and veterinary side is kind of all over the place. And so for me at a bare minimum, we have to have some in vitro research. What that means is in a lab, on a bench top, we have to be able to say, if we take this ingredient in the supplement and we put it to this cell, it will have an action that we can see, we can document. And so that means a company has to invest money in research and development. And then the sort of cream of the crop as far as what we would like to see is what's called in vivo research. That means they've taken dogs or cats with osteoarthritis naturally occurring. They've applied or given this particular supplement, and then there's been a noticeable effect compared to a group that wasn't receiving the supplement. But the challenge with osteoarthritis, both in people and in animals, is it's got this ebb and flow. It's always evolving between these periods of calmness and remission and flare-ups. And then it's also not ethical to take away other proven uh, pain management strategies to do solely a joint supplement. So it gets a little challenging for the in vivo part, but I think we have to use companies that are reputable, that have demonstrated superiority in quality control, that have demonstrated uh, research and development, that have demonstrated that they meet label claim, and that have demonstrated in vitro testing. And fantastic information. As I'm listening to it, I think to myself, you know what? I, maybe I should just ask my veterinarian yeah. and go with the the recommendation because it sounds like you as a veterinarian have done a lot of research and are up to date. And I can just ask the veteran, my veterinarian, uh, for the recommendation, and they'll still steer me in the right way. That's going to be the best approach. And then the other thing I really heard, and I just when we talk about prevention or treatment or things. The thing I heard you say, and I know that our Dr. Sam mm -hmm. uh, is going to love you saying is uh, keep, your, keep pet your pet at a healthy weight. weight. It, it just affects everything else, um, and that's the greatest 
our listeners, our listeners can't see, but I've lost 15 pounds in the past uh, eight, nine weeks. And I went running the other day and it, I was able to run longer without, without, you know, and, my, and I didn't hurt as much as and uh, 15 pounds is a lot of weight, yeah. you know, on my joints and my legs oh, yeah. didn't hurt. And I think we all understand it. I think, I think everybody understands that it just takes effort. Um, but your pets, and this is what Dr. Dr. Sam says, like your pets don't go to the grocery store. Like they depend on you. So it's, if your pet's overweight, look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> so, oh, and it's not, not just harsh. It's yeah, harsh. I'm just gonna, we're, we're here. We're spitting the facts here on the family pet yeah. podcast. So I was just going to say, I think you could do away with a lot of orthopedic related issues by just getting weight under control and that's free. And you can probably save some money by not having to spend so much on food. You mentioned two, two 20 minute walks and the family pet podcast is specifically designed. We're at 21 minutes right now. It's specifically designed to be an average walk, a one mile walk with your dog. And for cat owners, you can play with your cat for an hour. For twenty minutes of play is yeah. the ideal. That's right. That's we're here. We're here. For we're here for you. We're trying to help. We're trying to help. Well, Doctor Dykus, thank you for uh, helping us teach our curious pet parents a little bit about osteoarthritis today. Before we let you go, we need to ask for another fun fact. It's that time in the show where we empower our curious pet parents to win trivia night or at least impress their friends and family at dinner. So, Doctor Dykus, last week you came at us with some capuchin monkey uh, facts. What What do you have for us this week? I have. I don't know where I learned this from, but it's always stuck in my head. So a strand of spider silk, when they're, when they're making a web, a single strand is actually, it's thinner than human hair, but it's five times stronger than still of the same width. So, so what that means, if you put that into perspective, is that if you made a rope of spider silk that's just two inches thick, and you attach that to a, a Boeing 747, you could stop, you could pull back and stop the airplane is how strong that is. I believe it. Cause this is, it's, it's coming towards the end of the summer when the orb weaver, orb weaver spiders are out at the barn. When you walk through <laughs> you one walk- of those and there's impossible to get off <laughs> your face. Trapped. I just feel the terror that the flies experience when they walk, fly into it. Well, that's interesting. I like that. Oh yeah. Fact. Well, very good. Well, thank you. Uh, just another example of the. Uh, f- oh, easy there, Stephen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm about to edit that out. I don't know. Hey, well, anyway, Doctor Dagus, thank you so much for giving us uh, a little bit of your time today. We really appreciate um, you helping us teach our curious pet parents out there about um, about what you do and about osteoarthritis and. And uh, we just, again, thankful, thankful for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, I appreciate you guys giving me the, the time to chit-chat. It's been fun. I'm happy to come back at any point in the future if, uh, if you've got some other topics you want to cover. Well, we will, we will, we will take you up on yep, that one. Done. We will get that scheduled. <laughs> we hope that all of you curious pet parents out there have had fun with us today. And until next time, stay curious. Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share the 
this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com.